Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome to another edition of the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Today is Wednesday, the 26th of October 2022, uh, with myself Shajil Ahmed and also uh, Usman Manan as well, who you, you may have you may have heard him yesterday on the on the Breakfast Show as well. Asalaamu Alaikum. How, how are you doing this uh, this morning? Alaikum Salaam. Alhamdulillah, by the grace of Allah, I'm, going, I'm very good. How are you as yourself? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for asking. And uh, as uh, as our listeners would be would be aware, um, that uh, you know, uh, for 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 the setup of the of the breakfast show as well, before we actually get into our main uh, uh, topics, we go through we go through the the news. Uh, you know what's happening around the world, uh, what's happening uh, here in the UK, especially. Uh, as well, um, uh, and then we and then we get into our our main topics. Today we have two main topics uh, that we're going to be delving uh, deeper into. Firstly, we're going to be speaking about uh, a possible vaccine for for cancer, and this is indeed a possibility for the for the future. Um, so we have um, we have uh, we were fortunate enough to interview uh, Professor Ian Fraser. Um, and uh, we'll, you know, we'll listen to, we'll listen to, or we'll play that uh, for you as well. Um, the second part of the show, we are speaking about energy bills, and we all know that the energy bills are rising. Cost of living is rising as a whole. Anyway, what can we actually do to to actually sort of counteract that, or what can we do to actually um, make our end uh, meet this rise in the energy bills as well? What can we do? Um, so some practical things that we can actually do as well, and uh, we have some guests that we have that we will hopefully be speaking to as well. But it is an interactive show. If you want to get in touch with us, the number to call as always is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. These are the main two topics that we're going to be speaking about uh, for this morning's show. Uh, as I mentioned, this is an interactive show. The lines are open. You can call us if you want to, or you can uh, message us on our uh, Instagram page, which is at Voice of Islam UK. Uh, these are our topics. We'll join you after a short break. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet wasallam, let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding, yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam was a true man of peace. 
Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the Breakfast Show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. Um, before we actually you know, talk about the you know, what's happening, what's happening around the world. Um, uh, you know, going through some news articles as well. Uh, what we normally do is that we talk about uh, we talk about the weather. Uh, what's what's the weather looking like uh, uh, today? And you know, the, the forecast for the, for the next few days. Today, outbreaks of rain will clear to the north through mm. the morning. <coughs> this will leave a mix of sunshine and blustery showers across the UK. These heavy and thundery to the northwest, windy but mild. Mm. And tonight will. Uh, turn largely dry and clear at first during the early hours showery rain will move into northwestern areas with cloud and a few showers also pushing across the southern half of the UK Hmm. and tomorrow there will be a mixture of variable cloud and a few showers these heavy in places however southeastern areas will brighten up later during dry with sunny spells developing mild and on Friday, a band of rain will sweep across northern and western parts, turning dry <coughs> turning dry and bright for most during the afternoon. However, further spells of rain may edge into the south later in the day. Saturday looks to see variable cloudy, hmm. um, with a few spots of rain in places. Sunday should continue similarly, but with a chance of more persistent rain pushing into the southwest. Hmm. So yeah, maybe you know, a bit might be a bit of a, a wet, wet uh, weekend, uh, the next few days uh, as well. Um, but mm. you know, if we, I'm just looking at the 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 weather forecast as well for you know for the for the next few days, and um, the uh, despite the fact that it is rainy, right? It it is forecasting that it's going to rain. The temperature, the actual you know degrees, it's not it's not that low. Surprisingly, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's uh, it's as high as twenty degrees, and it's as low as uh, as uh, seventeen and sixteen degrees as well. Um, that's nice. This is decent. Yeah, twenty is uh, better than I think the last week. Yeah, it's getting warmer again. <laughs> yeah, that's the thing. The 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 up and down in the weather. That's what you know. That's what that's what causes the trouble. That's what causes the trouble because sometimes you think that the weather is uh, is nice. Um, but then you know the actual temperature is actually quite low, uh, and sometimes it's the opposite as well. Um, where you you know you put too many clothes on, or you know you put your you know you, you prepare for the hard winter, and then it's not even that it's, it's not even that cold. Um, so it, it, it's it's always this up and down in the weather which actually gets people and puts people under the weather as well. Um, mm, but still, and especially like this is the season weather changes so yeah this, this is the time to be careful if you if you save yourself these yeah, i think two three true. weeks then uh, you'll have like a good winter otherwise once you get sick and then the winter comes it's, yeah. just, it's just hard that's to true. get it's, back on track it's hard to get it's hard to get back on track as well that's true that's very true uh and and you know when you look outside and it's all dark and gloomy um <laughs> then, then that 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 doesn't help uh either <laughs> as yeah. well um 
but uh, you know, I talk, you know, going uh, going to some uh, some news topics, uh, what's happening around um, here in the UK and of course uh, the world. <coughs> um, obviously, everybody everybody is aware that Rishi Sunak, uh, who is the new Prime Minister today, he will make his debut as Prime Minister's questions uh, at lunchtime. Uh, lunchtime, and. Um, so the new Prime Minister will face uh, Labour leader Sakia Starmer in the Commons in the day after calling most, almost a dozen Conservative ministers from the Cabinet. Uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg has returned to the backbenches after a brief stint as a business secretary alongside others who were loyal to Liz Trust as well. Um, uh, Mr. Sunak has held uh, calls with several world leaders after being appointed Prime Minister yesterday, including US President Joe Biden and Ukraine's uh, Vladimir uh, uh, Zelensky as well. Um, the White House said that Mr. Mr. Biden, who had uh, mispronounced Mr. Sunak's name during a Diwali celebration on Monday, <laughs> congratulated him on his, uh, you know, on his uh, on his appointment. Both leaders reaffirmed the special relationship between the UK and the US and agreed on the importance of making to, uh, of working together to support Ukraine and hold Russia accountable for its aggression as well. Um, let's see, though. let's see how the the first prime ministers. Questions P- PMQ. How does that uh, work out as well? How does that go? Um, and let's see. Let's see how you know. Let's see how his he's he's a young he he's a young prime minister. He's only forty two years old, and uh, you know which is relatively you know quite quite young. Yeah, it's, it's not that it's, it's not it's not it's, yeah sort of middle age a little bit less than middle age, and uh, sort of um, uh, you know you know a good a good spirits as well. Let's see. Uh, what, let's see how. Let's see how his, uh, how you know how his uh, sort of reign is as a prime minister. Uh, you know Matt Hannock, um, who who was uh, you know, very uh, controversial during the ta- during the time of uh, of COVID. He tweeted uh, yesterday that a wonderful demonstration of uh, of modern Britain that we have a Christian king, a Hindu prime minister, a Jewish home secretary. And a Muslim mayor of uh, of London, and he said that he's proud. He said, "I'm proud to live in such a diverse and tolerant country," uh, with the Union Jack uh, there as well. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, yes, we we are living well, that in is, the, that is really the, amazing. <laughs> like, uh, I think London is one of the most uh, diverse cities, anyways, mm. in in the world, and yeah. uh, you can see this from from uh, you know the government, the the people. <coughs> yeah, we have on top. You know the king, the the prime minister, as you said. Yeah. So I think that's a, it's it's a good message, which is a good tweet as well. Um, I wasn't aware of it. I just realized it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it is nice to see that there's different. There's a lot of diversity as mm-hmm. well. But then, uh, but then, with all of this, what we want is that we we actually want diversity. You know, properly. Mm-hmm. We want we want there to be equal rights as well. Not just you know discrimination yeah. uh, between parties, between uh, between groups of people, between the minorities uh, as well, because that can have a huge uh, a huge effect on on everyone on on the whole public as a, as a whole as well. So these things are are you know important to actually look into as well. Uh, anything that that uh, that has come in the news that has uh, that you want to talk about? 
yeah, the, there's interesting news for uh, Ford Fiesta. Hmm. The, the car is uh, being scrapped. As right. I, th- I think they they, they stop they've stopped making new models from mm. now on. Right. Uh, or mid 2030 2023 sorry mm. <coughs> so and next year yeah yeah so it is a very popular car here it is a very very in, popular in the UK car as well i've seen like, a lot of people drive it mm. it's uh, it's it's uh, it, you know there, there are some cars which are good as a as a starting car you yeah, know and you know once you once you pass them. your license <laughs> <laughs> then to get your hand on the road to mm. make, make make you you know comfortable on the road and smooth on the road th- that's one of the cars uh, that people tend to drive as well, and, and and Ford is a, you know quite you know has a good engine. Yeah, it's a solid car. It's a, it's a solid car, definitely. It's a solid car. Um, uh, looking at the looking at the the headlines for uh, today's uh, newspapers, the Daily Express uh, says that resolute Rishi Sunak vowed to earn the nation's trust by tackling the profound economic crisis facing the country. Uh, talking about just uh, economics, actually, you know, he Rishi Sunak, his net worth is double the king, King Charles. Double of the king. Double. Can you <laughs> can you can you just imagine that? He his net worth is is his double. Uh, mm. You know the the king, and that's just right now. Uh, obviously, you know we, the, pro, uh, the prime minister wages are you know quite 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 decent as well. <laughs> uh, he he was uh, of course he was a member of parliament. And yeah. um, you know they earn quite uh, quite a bit as well, mm-hmm. and it's not just it's not just that's not just one way of their income. They can also have businesses. They can have other you know ways revenues or way, which which we can, they can they can make money. But now he's a prime minister. His net worth is gonna go is gonna go up as well. So <laughs> uh, I mean the thing is is that the thing is is that when you when you have when you have a a proper a proper rich influential um leaders right mm-hmm. of uh, of powerful nations and then and then you see austerity on the you know austerity in the same country <coughs> you wonder how and where the money is being spent how the money is being spent where the money is being spent and if money is being spent in the right places anyway mm. so uh you know it's uh, uh like i said before um you know it, he just started as the prime minister let's see <laughs> Let's see if he, uh, you know, um, passes uh, forty-two or how many, how many, forty-five days of list trust. I don't know <laughs> how many how many days she was as a prime minister. But uh, let's see, let's see what happens. Maybe to the next general election uh, as well. But you know what the funny thing is? I heard this yesterday. Um, the funny thing is, is that when did Brexit happen? Brexit happened in twenty fifteen, sixteen, something like that, right? Fifteen, yeah. sixteen. And that seems as if it was uh, last year. <laughs> yeah, and uh, the thing is, is that when we were t- when when Brexit was happening, everyone, you know, all the people, all the nationalists, and all the people who are, you know, so supposedly loyal to the country and everything, um, especially Britons, you know, uh, Caucasian Britons, especially, they're saying most of them were saying yes, we were, we're getting our country back. Uh, all the foreigners can go back to their countries, mm-hmm. and you know, kick out all the all the immigrants and all of that. Let's 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 you know, let's uh, let's take back Britain. Let's take back what is rightfully ours. You know, that was sort of the motive for those specific uh, for those specific people. <laughs> the funny thing is, is that 2015 or 16, whatever it was, how many years has it been now? Six, seven years? 
yeah. six, seven years. If it's fifteen, then seven years. So after seven years, the Tor- the whole, the, the only thing that, that has changed is that the Tory government has changed. You know, before it was Cameron, mm-hmm. uh, then uh, then it was um, uh, Theresa May, Boris Johnson, um, obviously you know Liz uh, Liz Truss. Now Rishi Sunak. The thing is, is that now Rishi Sunak is uh, is an Indian. Yeah, he is a Hindu. And he's an immigrant. I mean, if you look at it, he's not Caucasian. He's not white. He's an Indian. He's a Hindu. So, you know, the, it, it's a bit ironic as well. The people who wanted to get rid of the immigrants, now the leader of the country is uh, is an Indian, is a Hindu. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's funny, isn't it? It's it's very it's very ironic, uh, the way the way that this whole you know it, it happened. Mm. So uh, you know, um, you know, <laughs> I want to see yeah. what those people are actually saying. Those but I think that that mindset, anyways, that <laughs> need to get rid of these people is not right. Yeah. You, instead of getting rid of them, you can like work with them, improve the country. And I exactly. think that's like uh, Rishi Sunak has has a good giving me a good vibe about this as well. It's like either mm. we unite or we die. He mm. said that yesterday. So he's he's trying to you know bring everyone together. Yeah. Obviously, the, as a prime minister now. Yeah. So, uh, if you want to divide people, if uh, whether you like them or not, it, division is never good. Division, that's actually the enemy's tactic always. They, they, yeah. they divide the enemy and, uh, what you call it, divide and conquer. Mm. I don't know who came up with this, but that was a tactic. They would divide the forces mm. and then conquer them uh, one, one by one, one. Yeah. you know, weaken them. Exactly, exactly. Uh, and that, you know, that is exactly where... Uh, where our strength is, if we stay united, if we stay together, you know there is diversity, but diversity, you know, just like you mentioned, it, we we can utilize that to the best, uh, to the best possible way as well, isn't it? We don't have to, mm. we don't have to always, uh, you know, being bigots or being racist, <coughs> uh, you know, saying that you know how can, how can this happen? How can that happen? How can immigrants come here and do that? The thing is, is that sometimes we see that. People, people say, people ask, or people claim that you know the 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 mayor of London. He he he's a Muslim. He's a uh, you know he he he's a South Asian as well, Pakistani mm. uh, as well. His uh, the you know the prime minister now he's Indian. He's Hindu, uh, so he you know he's from South South Asia as well. Um, some people say that you know how can the leaders of our country be from foreign lands? <laughs> but the you know the the ironic thing is is that the the, the hypocrisy the controversy the controversy is that you know how how many times has you know these big big nations gone out to other countries and conquered them yeah yeah it's you know so you know how can you say that when your country has done, has done the same thing the thing is that i mean the whole uh, the whole topic of colonization and uh, you know go, you know all of this is is a very deep topic and I don't want to go too much in detail, but the reason why I want to mention is is that the thing is is that like what we were mentioning before, the 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 world is such a is such a global village now, is that yeah. uh, we 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 must live together. We we mm-hmm. can't say that you know we are divided. We're going to close our borders to to everyone, and and we're just going to do what we want to do and and forget about the rest of the world. Yeah, you saw it that on, work on like the that. on the Brexit impact. It, it was Exactly. I don't think Britain gained much from it yeah. <clears throat> even though they I think that their purpose was to save like billions hundreds of billions mm. of dollars they pay um pounds of uh they're paying to the EU. Mm. But uh what what they didn't realize is that that unity with the EU, that connection was 
more valuable than the amount of money they they would save exactly the we were going to save that amount of money but then we've spent more than that amount of money that we would that we promised as well yeah probably so that's the that's the thing um the you know the, the daily telegraph is that prime minister rishi sunak warned of difficult decisions ahead as he brought michael gov back into the cabinet to reflect a, a unified conservative party um rishi sunak removed 11 of list trust's cabinet ministers in a frenzied hour of sackings uh, with Jacob Rees-Mogg amongst the casualties of the Daily Mail reports. Um, multi-millionaire Rishi Sunak has uh, entered Downing Street with uh, while the British people are in despair at the cost of living there. That's what the Daily, the Daily Mirror actually reports. Um, Rishi Sunak has assembled a, a crisis cabinet of potential of political rivals in a bid to unify uh, uh, Tories. That's what the I um, reports as well. Um, so it's uh, similar what the newspapers are, are reporting, which is soon a pledge to clear up the mistakes made by Liz Trust as he appointed, as he has appointed a, 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 a cabinet that prioritised experience according to the Times. Um, the new, uh, new Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, has taken a gamble by restoring Swella Breverman uh, to the Home Office uh, less than a week after she was sacked for a security breach, the Guardian says, and a lot of pe- a lot of uh, people are actually talking about this uh, this as well. That just a week ago, um, she was uh, you know she was sacked uh, for for a security breach, and now she's come back into come back into uh, the cabinet as well. Rishi Sunak became Britain's third Prime Minister in two months. And immediately assembled a uh, assembled a unity cabinet to tackle the profound economic crisis facing the country. That's what the Financial Times has reported. Um, Metro, uh, the Metro uh, newspaper reports that the Prime Minister Rishi Sunak launched a huge cabinet reshuffle to fix Liz Truss's mistakes uh, within hours of King Charles formally making him the uh, the Prime Minister. Uh, so that's what the that's what the um, uh, sort of the what the newspapers are actually reporting uh, as well. Uh, so you know, we let's see as we, as we, as we've just spoken about. Let's see how his how he you know his policies, uh, the way that he handles the situations, the, the decisions that he makes, as well the promises mm-hmm. that he has made. Is he going to fulfil them? Uh, time will tell. Hopefully, you know. Hopefully, it, it goes down to the best. Um, we're going to be taking a very short break, and then right after that, we will get into our our first segment, which is a possible cure or possible vaccine for uh, for for cancer. Very interesting. Do stay tuned. We'll be back after just uh, just a short break. Allah, Allah. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. With so many attacks on Islam and the Holy Prophet let's set the record straight. He was a man of peace. He went through 13 long years of persecution for his beliefs. He was mocked and ridiculed, but he didn't retaliate. 
because he was a man of peace. When he went to Taif to spread the message of Islam, he was pelted with stones until he was bleeding. Yet he did not retaliate because he was a man of peace. When he migrated to Medina, he established the Charter of Medina, allowing the Jews, Christians, and Muslims to live together in harmony with full religious freedom because he was a man of peace. And after all the oppression that he faced, when he returned to Mecca as a king, he had the right and the power to punish every single one of them. Yet he forgave them because he was a man of peace. The Holy Prophet ﷺ said that no white man is superior to a black man, no Arab to a non-Arab. Rather, everyone is equal. He freed slaves and taught to treat them as brothers. He did all of this because he was sent as the Rahmatul Lil Alameen, a mercy for mankind. Indeed, the Holy Prophet ﷺ was a true man of peace. Life of Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. Treatment of neighbours Prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, always treated his neighbours with extreme kindness and consideration. He used to say that the angel Gabriel had emphasised consideration towards one neighbours so often that he sometimes began to think that a neighbour would perhaps be included among the prescribed heirs. Abu Dhar, peace be upon him, relates that the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said to him, Abu Dhar, while broth is being cooked for your family, add a little more water to it so that your neighbour might also share in it. This does not mean that the neighbour should not be invited to share in other things, but as the Arabs were mostly a migratory people and their favourite dish was broth, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, referred to this dish as a typical one and taught that one should not think so much of the taste of the food as of the obligation to share it with one's neighbour. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, On one occasion the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, exclaimed, I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. I call God to witness that he is not a believer. The companions inquired, Who is not a believer, O Messenger of Allah? And he replied, He whose neighbour is not secure against injury and ill treatment at his hands. On one occasion, when he was addressing women, he said, If anybody finds only the foot of a goat to cook, that person should share it with his or her neighbour. He asked people not to object to their neighbours driving pegs into their walls or putting them to any other use which occasioned no injury. Abu Huraira, peace be upon him, relates, The Prophet said, He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his neighbour. He who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should occasion no inconvenience to his guest. And he who believes in God and in the Day of Judgment should utter only words of virtue or should keep quiet. Muslim Simplified answers to frequently asked questions. Does Islam permit organ donation? Saving a human life is the duty of a Muslim if it is in his capacity to do so. So organ donation to save a life of another person is something that will be highly praised and encouraged in Islam. But there is one condition. If organ donation is done during the lifetime of the donor, like for example in the case of someone donating one of his kidneys to another person, then the donation should not cause threat to the life of the donor or be a cause of any harm to the health of the donor. 
Other than that, which has been mentioned, Islam fully permits organ donation. It is imperative that nations and their leaders do not focus only on their own national interests, but consider what is best for the world at large. Dialogue with other nations and communities is vital, and each party should work together with the spirit of tolerance and with the shared objective of developing true and sustainable peace in the world. of Islam Radio. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullah. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. As mentioned uh, in this part of the show, we're going to be we are speaking about uh, we are talking about uh, uh, there could be a possible vaccine for for cancer, and this is indeed a possibility for the future. So just as a story. Is that you know it's pretty straightforward. The researchers behind the COVID vac- uh, vaccination suggest that there could be a possibility that a vaccine for cancer could be created by by twenty thirty, and there are some articles uh, which uh, which are supporting this uh, this as well. Uh, what, so the thing is, is that what is what is cancer? Who and how many people does it affect? And uh, can it be classified? Uh, you know, to, how can it be classified as cancer? Uh, what happens to the body, um, you know, when, when when these when this happens, and why does it happen as well? So when cells grow old or become damaged, they die, and new cells take their place. And this is commonly known as as a cell division. This you know this this happens without you even thinking about it, and this happens all the time. So the cells that you have on your body right now on your skin, they will they will eventually die, but they will be replaced by new cells um, and you know you, you don't even know it but sometimes this process breaks down meaning that uh, sort of the abnormal or damaged cells grow and multiply when they shouldn't 
So that's you know that that's basically what happens when those dead cells are damaged, or before you know before those you know before those cells are actually transferred. There are some damaged cells, some abnormal cells, and then they they multiply and they multiply even more as well. And they even though that they 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 should these these cells may form tumors, um, and then that of course you know if it gets if it spreads so much, then it can be uh, very dangerous. And these tumors can actually lead to cancer as well. So cancer is a is a condition where cells in a specific part of the body grow. And produce uh, uncontrollably, and the cancerous cells can invade and destroy surrounding uh, healthy tissues, including organs. So, if 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 these damaged tissues grow, and if they if they you know get if they multiply so much in one particular uh, organ, they can be anywhere. Literally, they, I mean, because there's different types of cancers as well. There's lung cancer. You know, you can get blood cancer, leukemia. You can get, you know, cancer in your, you know, in your, in, in, you know, in your liver, kidneys, and you know, various other organs as well. And when these grow, then the whole organ, you know, gets uh, gets damaged, and it, it doesn't function anymore. And the thing is, is that it doesn't just stop there. If it's not treated with different uh, methods, um, then it can actually, it can actually spread into other organs as well. Um, so. It can start anywhere in the body, uh, and it sometimes begins in, w- in one part before spreading to other areas as well. And this process is known as uh, metastasis, and th- there are more than a hundred different types of cancers. As I mentioned, you know, there could be bowel cancer, lung cancer, it could be brain cancer, prostate, prostate cancer as well. Um, some statistics for you as well. There's around three hundred and seventy-five thousand new cases. In the UK, every year, um, that's you know that's about a thousand every day, a thousand cases every day as well. And in the UK, there are more than one hundred and eighty-two thousand new female cases uh, every day. Uh, there are around one hundred and ninety-three thousand new male cases uh, every year as well here in the UK. Um, so just a little bit more than than women uh, on on average. Every two minutes, someone in the UK is diagnosed with cancer. So you know, there's a thousand people every day. There are two minutes after after every two minutes, there's uh, you know someone who's being um, who's being di- diagnosed with uh, with cancer, which is quite uh, which is quite sad. Breast, prostate, lung, and bowel cancers accounted for over half, which is fifty three percent of all new cancer uh, cases in the UK, and this was twenty sixteen to eighteen uh, as well, and this is the Cancer rates uh, in the UK are the highest in people aged 85 to 89. And each year, more than a third um, of all cancer cases in the UK are diagnosed in people aged 75 and over. So incidence rates for for all cancers combined are lower in Asian and black ethnic groups and uh, in people of mixed or multiple ethnicity compared to with uh, with the white ethnic group as well. So these are some statistics uh, for you as well. Um, anything that you want to mention? Um, yeah, so there's a <coughs> Dr. Abdus Salam, the first Muslim Nobel Prize winner in physics has mentioned something. Uh, he said, I am a Muslim because I believe in the spiritual message of the Holy Quran. As a scientist, the Quran speaks to me in 
that it emphasizes reflection on the laws of nature with examples drawn from cosmology, physics, biology and medicine as signs for all men. Uh, the Quran says that can they not look up to the clouds how they are created and to the heaven how it upraised and the mountains how they are rooted and the earth how it is outspread. Verily in the creation of the heavens and the earth and in the alteration of the night uh, night and of the day are there signs for men of understanding. They who standing, sitting or reclining bear Allah in mind and reflect on the creation of the heavens and on the uh, of the earth saying O our Lord thou hast not created this in vain the Quran emphasizes the superiority of the alim the man pos uh, possessed of knowledge and insight asking how can those not possessing not possessing these attributes ever be equal of those who do 750 verses of the Quran almost one-eighth of the book exhort believers to study nature to reflect to make the best use of reason in their search for the ultimate and to make the acquiring of knowledge and scientific comprehension part of the community's life so uh, we uh, we sh are encouraged to do research and uh, you know excel ourselves in in different parts of the um, um, studies in biology physics hmm. So we will. Uh, there are, you know, there, you know, there, there are different, uh, there are different cures and different remedies for, you know, for different things, uh, you know, which 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 are utilized. Or sometimes we, you know, sometimes we can use uh, allopathic medicines, um, such as, uh, you know, the um, antibiotics or you know, or what have you. And then on the other side, we can have homeopathic medicines as well. Um, sometimes there's sometimes, you know, do you need to do you know the a a, a you, know, you need to do surgery. Uh, sometimes chemotherapy is the only way forward. Sometimes you do need to do an operation. But there are different ways to actually um, cure uh, cure an illness, cure a disease. And the more, of course, like you mentioned, the more research which which is done, the easier that process can actually. Uh, be done and and the, the more avenues can actually be opened up as well so when it comes to this that we're you know <coughs> that we're speaking about right now that there can be a possible um vaccine there's uh, you know as i mentioned there are some uh, articles which uh, talk about this as well um they you know the, the gist of those articles is that c cancer vaccines could be accessible to patients within uh as i mentioned the next decade 2030 and the German professor, Hugo uh, um, Sahin and Oslem Tureki, uh, who created the Pfizer-BioNTech COVID-19 vaccines, have said that they have heard break. Uh, they, they they've had breakthroughs in their cancer research that that they will keep working on, and their mRNA technology has you uh, you know was used in the pandemic. And that vaccine, the mRNA vaccine, is inje injected into the body, where enter cells and creates uh, antigens, which are then recognized by the immune system, and uh, and uh, prepare it to fight the disease. Now, the husband and wife, you know, the the, the professors, 
were actually interviewed by the BBC uh, as well and asked whether cancer vaccines might be accessible, accessed by patients around the world. They they, they said that it could happen as well as uh, you know by before twenty before twenty thirty. And they said also that the that, that we have learned how to better, faster manufacture vaccines. We have learned in a large number of people um, how the immune system reacts towards mRNA. And this will definitely also accelerate our cancer uh, vaccine as well. That's what they said. As scientists, we are always hesitant to say that we have a cure for cancer uh, because obviously, you know, th- that is quite a bold statement as well. And no, you know, no two cancers are the same. There's, you know, you know, so many different types of cancers. There's a hundred different types of cancers, and obviously, all of them need to be treated um, differently. Uh, and obviously, the time that it, it is treated uh, may has a major impact on it as well. If you detect a cancer cells, cancer cells uh, early on, then it can be easier to treat. But obviously, if the cancer, those dangerous, uh, those harmful um, cells, have actually spread into the majority. Uh, or the major part of uh, any particular organ, then it becomes quite difficult as well. Um, so you know, talking about a vac, but the, you know, the vaccine is uh, vaccine anyway is a is a preventative vaccine is something that you take pre- that you take before anyway. So it's not basically it's not really a cure. is is a preventative as yeah. I say. So it doesn't it doesn't happen. So you know, even if there are some some harm, some harmful cells, some cancerous cells. That vaccine will actually help to to fight those uh, those bad cells as well. Maybe destroy those bad cells, those harmful cells, as well. Um, so you know it, it is quite promising as well. Like we mentioned, Islam actually promotes uh, promotes uh, all of us, scientists, doctors, people in all spheres of uh, um, of whatever work that they do to excel in whatever they're doing, excel in their research, do more research because obviously. You know, there, there's so much that we don't know about the world as well. Uh, we're going to be continuing this topic after the break as well. Uh, join us after a short break for the news. You're listening to The Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum Welcome back to the breakfast show. The Holy Prophet of Islam emphasized that the quest for knowledge and science is obligatory upon every Muslim, man and woman. The Holy Prophet, peace be upon him, said to a physician, You are only a soother to your patient. Its physician is he who has created him, meaning Allah. The promised Messiah, peace be upon upon him, uh, the promised Messiah's life also sheds light on the topic where we find that he did not like to get treatment from a physician who had no belief in the existence of God and believed that the power of healing lied in his own hands as such a physician would claim divinity to himself. Also the promised Messiah, peace be upon him, has discussed in intensive detail how the spiritual well-being is connected to the physical well-being in the philosophy of the teachings of Islam. 
Now, the, we, we were fortunate enough to interview Professor Ian Fraser, who um, is a professor, uh, is, a, is a, also a, a clinical scientist, trained as a clinical immunologist in, uh, in Scotland. So let's listen, to, let's listen to what he had to say. For our listeners out there, could you briefly describe what cancer is and how many it affects? Well, ca- cancer is a whole range of diseases, but basically the problem is that some part of your body, some organ in your body, the cells go a bit out of control and grow where they shouldn't and spread to other parts of your body. Uh, one in three people will get cancer in their lifetime, but most of, ca- most of the cancers will be curable, so that uh, the common cancers are quite often cured uh, fairly easily. But nevertheless, it's, it's very common amongst everybody in the community. There's a good chance you'll get cancer. And the older you get, the more likely you are to get cancer. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Uh, and generally speaking, um, what are the current treatments for cancer? Well, the preferred treatment is always surgery. If you can cut the cancer out, that gives you the best chance of surviving without a problem. But if surgery alone is not enough, then the, the thing that can be added in is radiotherapy, which uses x-rays or radium rays to kill cancer cells or you can use chemotherapy where you use a drug to kill the cancer cells. Mm-hmm. And uh, what is a cancer vaccine and what what is the idea behind this potential drug? Why may it be useful in this day and age and how, how dangerous well, is it? Look, there are two sorts of cancer vaccines. There are vaccines designed to prevent cancer and then there are vaccines designed to treat cancer. Uh, the vaccine that I was involved in developing, uh, so-called Gardasil, was designed to prevent cancers by preventing an infection which can particularly cause some sorts of cancer. The, the, the vaccine prevents infection with a virus called papillomavirus, and papillomavirus is responsible for about uh, 5 to 10% of all cancers worldwide. Uh, but there are also vaccines that are designed to treat cancer, and there, what they do is they awake the body's defenses against infection and turn the defenses against the cancer so that the vaccine arranges, if you like, for killing cancer cells specifically. So that these are two quite distinct sorts of vaccine, one which can be given to anybody to try and prevent them getting a cancer, and then one that's given to people who actually have cancer to make sure that the ca- we use the power of the body's defenses against infection to kill the cancer. Thank you. And uh, what what are the the main problems or issues coming uh, forward when doing this research? So are the current hurdles to overcome this research? Well, for, fortunately, the uh, vaccines that we have to prevent cancer are now past the research stage. We've managed to do all the necessary research to prove that they are both safe and effective. And therefore, we can use these vaccines as we do worldwide now to help prevent cervical cancer and probably also esophageal cancer and a couple of other cancers. So that these these are these are vaccines where the most important part of the research is to work out how we can deliver these vaccines effectively in the developing world. Uh, the can the vaccines to treat cancer are very much experimental, and that's where my research work is now being done. And what we're trying to do is to show that we can get something useful by exciting the body's own immune system. That sort of treatment comes in two forms as well. 
One of them non-specifically stimulates your body's defenses against infection. In other words, it doesn't particularly uh, focus on one sort of cancer. It just turns up the volume control, if you like, on your defenses against infection and gives you a better chance of curing the cancer. So that these drugs are now quite commonly used, although they're mostly still for research purposes in people who've got particularly cancers which involve uh, organs like the lung or the kidney. And they're now, I wouldn't say a routine part of treatment, but they're becoming more commonly used. The vaccines which I'm interested in are the ones which specifically target the cancer, one type of cancer, so that recognizes uh, abnormal cells specifically. And these are very much research vaccines. And at the moment, our work is focused on developing research vaccines for those cancers that already have a virus inside them so that we know exactly what we're trying to kill. And uh, these, these vaccines are now in the early clinical trial in many countries in the world. None of them have yet reached the point where they become part of routine treatment, but there are certainly some very encouraging results that can be got by combining a non-specific vaccine to boost the immune system and a specific vaccine to target the immune system to the cancer. Mm -hmm. And uh, what types of uh, cancer vaccines are um, other than this currently in clinical trials and what are their results so far? Well, the, the, the vaccines that are designed to boost the, immune, the body's immune system are certainly in clinical trials for a wide range of cancers. And these, drug, these drugs are called, check, they're called checkpoint inhibitor drugs because they basically take the brakes off the immune system and make mm -hmm. it work harder. And they're being used routinely now for solid organ cancers in many countries in the world. They don't cure everybody. They, and indeed, it would be fair to say that they're, they're good at reducing the burden of cancer, but they don't actually cure it completely. The specific vaccines, the ones that I'm interested in, are in earlier stage of clinical trials. We've currently completed a trial uh, of patients who have quite advanced cancer, which is caused by papillomavirus infection, particularly oropharyngeal cancer. And these cancers, we can see that the right sort of immune response is occurring, and we think that we're helping these patients. But it's not yet a case that we can just go in there and say, well, here's the right vaccine for your cancer, and it will cure you. But that's the aim of the work. And that's why research needs to carry on, because we know that every time that we're doing these trials, we're getting a little closer to the product that will actually help to cure a cancer. Very interesting. Um, lastly, if you could just briefly and in simple words explain the steps uh, you take for, for um, each uh, research. So where, where you get, do you get your substance from? What process does it go through? And um, how do you get the results? Look, we always start by trying to use a model of what the cancer looks like, maybe in an animal, so that uh, we would grow, the, grow a tumour in, in a mouse or a small, a small animal and then target the tumour with a vaccine which we know will recognise the tumour. And these trials are very successful. We can cure these cancers in these animal models quite effectively if we know what target to choose. And for example, if it's papillomavirus that's causing the cancer, then we can target papillomavirus-bearing tumours, and we can usually kill the tumour quite successfully in a, in, a, in, a, in a mouse model, or even in a larger animal model. But uh, when it comes to humans, every, every cancer is different, and therefore what we're not yet very good at doing is knowing exactly what 
targeted any particular person's cancer. So what we're doing there in the way of research is learning what, how the cancer is different from normal self so that if we can identify, if you like, the unique features of a cancer that are not found in normal cells but are found only in the cancer cells, then that's the thing that we can target with our vaccines and therefore hopefully try and get rid of the cancer. And that's what we're doing at the, at the moment, for example, with the vaccines that we're using to treat cervical cancer because we know there will be papillomavirus in there. So we can make a vaccine which will kill papillomavirus-infected cells. And yes, that works for some patients, but the cancer fights back. And we also have to learn to overcome the fact that the cancer has got many tricks up it. So what we try to do is use a combination of a vaccine which boosts the immune system non-specifically and a vaccine which targets the cancer specifically. And if we can put these together, then we've got a chance of actually being able to cure cancers. Thank you very much, Professor Ian Fraser, for your valuable time and your insight and knowledge on this topic. Um, I hope you have a wonderful day ahead and uh, or a wonderful evening, I would say. And thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for giving me your time and I'm glad that I've had the chance to talk with you. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That was Professor Ian Fraser, who is uh, currently in uh, Australia. Um, he also chairs the Australian Medical Research Advisory Board of the Medical Research <coughs> Future Fund. Now we will listen to a short clip of His Holiness, Hazrat Mirza Masur Ahmed, um, may Allah strengthen his hand about cancer. Some time ago, an Ahmadi woman was diagnosed with cancer of the uterus. The doctor said her case was terminal and that there was no cure for her. Indeed, they said she only had a very short time left to live and thus she should return home and make her final arrangements. Despite the prognosis given by the doctors, upon her return home, she was treated in a truly astonishing manner by the God who had given her life and provided, her, uh, provided for her. One night, in a dream, she saw a shrub which grew in that part of Pakistan where she had lived. In the dream, she saw that the shrub appeared before her and a voice emanated from it saying, I am your cure, so use me. This was the voice of the shrub. As a result of this dream, she did use the shrub as a treatment. And with the grace of Allah, the cancer was completely cured. Her doctors, who had given up all hope, were left astounded and they said it had been a true miracle. That lady, who Allah himself cured, informed one of our Amadi doctors about her case and since then, the Ahmadi doctors and physicians have started to prescribe the shrub for both breast cancer and uterine cancer. 
with the grace of allah the results that have been extremely positive and so many women have been saved from these uh, horrific diseases one of our ahmedi doctors living in the uk is now conducting research on this shrub and with the grace of god the results till now are quite promising these are the means of god almighty's nourishment of mankind and the way he protects his creation a new station the voice of islam with live discussions religion and culture understand the true teachings of islam with the voice of islam life of muhammad peace be upon him high moral qualities prophet muhammad peace be upon him was always very patient in adversity he was never discouraged by adverse circumstances nor did he permit any personal desire to get a hold over him it has been related that his father had died before his birth and his mother died while he was still a little child up to the age of 8 he was in the guardianship of his grandfather and after the latter's death he was taken care of by his uncle abu talib both on account of natural affection and also because he had been specially admonished in that behalf by his father abu talib always watched over his nephew with care and indulgence but his wife was not affected by these considerations to the same degree it often happened that she would distribute something among her own children leaving out their little cousin if abu talib chanced to come into the house on such an occasion he would find his little nephew sitting apart a perfect picture of dignity and without a trace of sulkiness or grievance on his face the uncle yielding to the claims of affection and recognizing his responsibility would run to the nephew clasp him to his bosom and cry out do pay attention to this child of mine also do pay attention to this child of mine also such incidents were not uncommon and those who were witnesses to them were unanimous in their testimony that the young muhammad peace be upon him never gave any indication that he was in any way affected by them or that he was in any sense jealous of his cousins later in life when he was in a position to do so he took upon himself the care and upbringing of two of his uncle's sons ali peace be upon him and jafar peace be upon him and discharged this responsibility in the most excellent manner the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him throughout his life had to encounter a succession of bitter experiences he was born an orphan his mother died while he was still a small child and he lost his grandfather at the age of 8 years after marriage he had to bear the loss of several children one after the other and then his beloved and devoted wife khadija died some of the wives he married after khadija's death died during his lifetime and towards the close of his life he had to bear the loss of his son ibrahim he bore all these losses and calamities cheerfully and none of them affected in the least degree either his high resolve or the urbanity of his disposition his private sorrows never found vent in public and he always met everybody with a benign countenance and treated all alike with uniform benevolence on one occasion he observed a woman who had lost a child occupied in loud mourning over her child's grave he admonished her to be patient and to accept god's will as supreme the woman did not know that she was being addressed by the holy prophet peace and blessings of allah be upon him and replied If you had ever suffered the loss of a child as I have you would have realized how difficult it is to be patient under such an affliction 
the Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, observed, I have suffered the loss not of one, but of seven children, and passed on. Except when he referred to his own losses or misfortunes in this indirect manner, he never cared to dwell upon them, nor did he permit them in any manner to interfere with his unceasing service to mankind and his cheerful sharing of their burdens. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Peace and blessings of Allah be upon you all. Welcome back to the uh, breakfast show here on the Voice of Islam Radio. In this part of the show, we are uh, we're talking about uh, energy bills. And how energy bills are rising? What what can we actually do with the recent rise in the cost of our of our energy bills? There are various concerns and solutions discussed amongst the uh, experts um, uh, as well. And this is something uh, that we're speaking about, talking about, discussing in this uh, in this segment, in this part of the show. Is uh, as it, as I mentioned before, it is an interactive show. If you want to get in touch with us, the numbers, uh, the line is open. The number to call in is zero two zero eight six eight seven seven eight seven eight. Um, the new uh, Chancellor Jeremy Hunt has announced that he uh, that the help uh, that he would help with the energy bills for all households, and uh, uh, but this will only last until uh, last until April. Um, the the I think this is the old one, isn't it? So now Liz Trust, um, who was the Prime Minister, previously previously said that uh, there w- there would be energy bills. Uh, energy bill support for two years after updating the nation's urgency on gas and electric prices as soon as she came into office. But obviously now now Rishi Sunak is the is the new prime minister. So let's see um, what you know what policies and decisions that he makes as well. But her plan was to freeze average energy bills at uh, at twenty five hundred pounds, two thousand five hundred pounds a year, and this was funded by borrowing. Um, so it, it is interesting what uh, what her sort of uh, solution was, um, but uh, to, let's see what happens today as well at the Prime Minister's questions. It will be Rishi Sunak's first Prime Minister's questions as well, and uh, let's see yeah, let's see how he faces the questions put to him by by the by the Labour leader, Sir Ke- Sir Starmer, uh, as well. So it is going to be it is going to be interesting. It, it, let's see what happens as and, and like, like I mentioned. The decisions that he that he makes, um, will have to we will have to see uh, that as well because obviously the, it's not just energy bills, it's the the cost of living has uh, has gone up as well. So how are we going to tackle this? How are we going to um, you know how are we actually going to come out on top from this as well? Let's speak to our guest who's on the line with us, Professor Mary uh, Martiskin Martiskinine. I'm sorry if I mispronounced uh, your name. Uh, I'm pretty sure that I did. Apologies for that one. But you are a professor of energy and society and co-director of Sussex Energy Group at University of Sussex. Peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Mary. Hello. Good morning. And that was that, that was a good pronunciation of my name. So hello. My name is Mary Martiskanen, and I'm a professor of energy and society at the University of Sussex. 
So thank you so much for inviting me on the show this morning. Thank you so much for joining us and accepting our invitation as well. And just to begin with, um, for, for the benefit of our listeners, wh- why are energy bills rising anyway? So our energy bills are rising due to a mixture of reasons. Hmm. So the biggest reason really is that the wholesale cost of electricity and gas, which is the cost that your supplier pays when they buy electricity and gas through the markets from the companies who own the power plants or from gas importers. So those wholesale prices have gone up. And this is partly due to the fact that um, there's been increased demand for energy after the COVID lockdown. So our societies were quite locked, you know, locked down for quite some period of time. And Mm. once we've come out of those, you know, demand for energy has gone up and then prices have gone up at the same time. And of course, you know, we have the war in Ukraine, which has pushed prices up further. And in line of this, because the wholesale gas prices have gone up, the energy regulator often has removed this price cap on energy bills now twice this year. So we are seeing the effects of that in our bills. Hmm. So with all of these uh, different factors which are playing their role as well, um, and the energy bills are, are rising, what, what plans have there been or which, are, which have been put in place to, to actually um, to tackle this? So there are there are a few few things that have been put in place and there are two main support schemes that everyone will get a benefit from. So first there is the energy price guarantee. So this started in October this year and it will now last until the end of March of 2023. And this puts a limit on the rates that the energy suppliers can charge for gas and electricity for most households. And this is something that will automatically be applied to your energy bill. So, for example, if you pay by direct debit, on average, it's about 35p per electricity for kilowatt hour and about 10p for gas uh, for kilowatt hour. But of course, you know, it depends then your overall overall, um, you know, price of electricity and gas will depend how much you use. But but there is now a cap of how much suppliers can can charge. So that's one thing. Then another thing is uh, energy bills support scheme. So this means that every household will get £400 of their electricity bill. And this money is paid in six monthly installments from October. Hmm. And then if you receive any benefits, there are some additional support. So for instance, there is the warm home discount scheme, and this provides £150 of your electricity bill. Some local councils may have, for instance, fuel vouchers. And if this winter is really cold, Hmm. some people who might our own benefits might be eligible for a one-off gold weather payment. And yeah. if you are over 66 years old, you can also get the winter fuel payment, which is, again, a one-off measure. So there are quite a few measures in place. Hmm. But, you know, our prices are really going through the roof. So some of these measures, unfortunately, will not be enough for some people who might have really high bills this winter. Yeah, that's you know that's uh, quite alarming as well. But it, it is it is nice to see and nice to hear that there are so there are quite a few things which are in place as well. But obviously, as you mentioned, uh, not everyone will be will be able to actually benefit from these things as well. So, in your personal point point of view, what 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 can we do? Or what can the public do uh, in order to combat these uh, these energy bills uh, rising as well? well? You know, how can we be more more uh, efficient and also what policies? Uh, need to be adopted? 
So first of all, if I if I talk about energy efficiency, and I'm really glad that you mentioned that because it's really important that we don't waste energy. So first of all, it's really important to make sure that you know our homes are efficient, that we use insulation, and we look at very sort of you know simple things like grass proofing, for for example. So make sure that you know your windows and doors are not leaking leaking warmth from your home. Mm. So so it is really thinking about you know first how can we make our homes really energy efficient. And then, you know, looking at things like renewable heating technologies, for example, heat pumps, which are efficient. Um, and I think more importantly, I, I think in terms of policies, I think it's really important that we have a national retrofitting program. And this is something that, you know, our politicians really should should get a grasp on and, and really, really help us fix the kind of quite leaky and drafty homes that many of us in the UK have. So, so really, you know, thinking about energy efficiency first, those simple methods like, you know, energy efficient appliances and light bulbs, double glazing, technologies like draft proofing that I already mentioned. There are, you know, technologies like smart thermostats, for instance, which will allow you, for example, you know, maybe heat just one room at a time. But I have to say on that particular point, if you have, for example, any health conditions, it's really important that you do not let your home get too cold mm. because then that can have, you know, health impl- implications. So, um, but really on a more wider scale, we really need to, you know, speak to our MPs and speak to our politicians and make sure that we have a national retrofitting program for our homes. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, as part of your, as part of your research, uh, you've also um, studied innovative ways, new ways as well to actually potentially combat the, the energy bills, um, this, you know, the whole issue of the energy bills and how they're rising. Can you share some of these these ways uh, for our listeners as well? So one of the things I already mentioned are heat pumps, for example. So heat pumps work almost like a reverse uh, refrigerator, and um, you know, and they are they can be used for both um, heating and cooling. And you know, this summer, for instance, we had a really big heat wave in the UK. So. You know, when we talk about energy and when we talk about energy bills in particular, one of the things that we tend to focus on is the sort of, you know, thinking about our heating and thinking about our heating costs. But I think in the future we will also have a lot more demand and needs for cooling because our climate is is changing and we are seeing a lot more heat waves. So heat pumps, for instance, you know, they can help heat heat and cool our homes. Um, They are generally, you know, cheaper to run than um, gas, gas gas boilers for example i mean the the upfront costs are quite high that's Mm. the only thing so we don't have enough you know economies of scale because not enough heat pumps have been installed yet in the uk to bring the price down but for instance in other countries um across the europe they are very popular and um a lot more affordable as well so Mm. so that's one technology for instance that you know um we we are sort of seeing and the government also is is recommending them now and putting a lot of um you know effort into into looking that um but also one other thing is that when we when we talk about energy on a kind of wider scale you know we also need to think about our transport and how we move around because that will have energy implications on the kind of wider societal level as well so we need to also make sure that we decarbonize our transport options and and look towards more electrified transport so electric vehicles for example but also really thinking about, you know, can we do active travel more, for example, walking and cycling and, um, and you know, um, perhaps relying um, on, on personal cars a little bit, little bit less. 
So absolutely, absolutely. Um, I, w- I want to ask you uh, um, a little bit more about uh, about this as well, uh, because y- y- your current research actually also focuses on the on the interlink between fuel poverty and transport poverty as well. Uh, can you just tell us a little bit uh, about this? That's correct. Um, and um, so, so yes. So part of my research, um, I am leading a project where we are looking at fuel poverty. So fuel poverty is when people don't usually have a chance to have enough energy services at home, either due to the cost of bills, um, so energy bills are too high, or home is very inefficient, or alternatively, you know, they might just um, have a have a very low income. So there's a mixture of reasons why fuel poverty. Um, is caused and um, and fuel poverty is actually one of those things that um, unfortunately still in the UK we have a lot of households in fuel poverty and now with the rising energy bills we expect that up to about six over six million homes might be in in fuel poverty by the end of this year which is um which is really terrible uh, because it impacts on people's lives you know if you are cold at home all the time. Um, if you have to think about constantly when to put the heating on or what hot meals you can cook, for instance, it can cause a lot of stress and anxiety for people. And then transport poverty is when people don't have access or they can't afford their transport. Hmm. And this is not something that is widely recognized in the UK yet. But again, it's really key for quality of life because people need to be able to move from A to B to go to jobs to go to school, to go to their education, to do things like, you know, attend hospital appointments, for instance. So it's really important that people have the transport services that they need. And, for example, during the pandemic, we have seen a lot of bus routes being cut. So, um, you know, and public transport in some cases has become quite um, quite expensive. So um, people's fuel, fuel costs are going up in terms of their, you know, filling up their cars. So we have been looking at in our research you know, what happens when people might be affected by fuel poverty and transport poverty at the same time. And we find that particularly people who might be in rural areas might be at risk because if they have to, for example, rely on, uh, you know, oil heating, which is expensive, and then a car, which actually can also be expensive to run. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you for, for sharing that and your you know research and expertise on this uh, on this topic as well. Professor Marie, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, have a lovely day. Thank you so much. And you too. Have a lovely day. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you. So that was uh, a very, a very uh, insightful, insightful uh, interview uh, as well. Some you know, very practical things uh, which you mentioned that what we can do, what the public can do to actually um, you know, tr- try to try our best to actually counter this problem that we are facing of uh, you know the the, the raising rising energy energy bills, this whole crisis as well as as mentioned the whole um, uh, cost of living has actually gone up as well, so it's uh, you know the, the way the way that we need to sort of live our lives it's it's different to what it was before. To change, uh, the, yeah, this this change. Um, the thing is, is that. There, there is so much that's uh, that's happened in the, in the past few years um, that you know, obviously <laughs> Brexit happened, uh, and then uh, obviously COVID. We are you know at the end period of that, and then uh, you know a lot of our prime ministers uh, changed as well. Um, so it's it's been a quite a quite quite an eventful 
uh, f- past few years. And the way, okay. the, and obviously, you know, the 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 war in Ukraine, um, the, it's as as uh, as our guest mentioned as well. That has an impact as well on our energy bills. Um, so all of these things are actually making uh, making it quite difficult. You know, people are actually considering whether the, the people are having to 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 choose whether to put the heating on or you know. Uh, Cook, cook a meal on a particular, you know, or, or skip a meal, uh, as well. So it, it is, it has put us in a difficult, uh, a difficult situation. So, uh, yeah, but some uh, some positive things that she that she mentioned as well, on what uh, what we can actually practically, um, what we can actually practically do, as well. Um, but you know, let's uh, let's speak to our next guest who is on the line with us, Professor. Uh, Bill Gething, who combines his role as professor of architecture at the University of uh, the the West of England with private practice as an architect as well. Uh, peace be upon you. Good morning and welcome to the show, Professor. Hi. Hi. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, to begin with, for the benefit of our listeners, in light of the current energy bills, uh, the whole crisis that we're facing, how can we make energy or make energy more efficient when 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 constructing houses um well it, it, that's an interesting question i think um it, it, i mean really new homes aren't really the problem hmm. if you're talking about how we construct new homes we, we obviously want to um construct them as well as possible but the real problem is with existing homes i think there's a statistic um, that 80% of the homes that will be there in 2050 are here now. So we've, we've already built 80% of that of that housing stock. So mm. in terms of overall, in, in overall terms, um, new homes aren't going to make a huge amount of difference. Obviously, it makes a huge difference to the people living in them. Um, but their energy efficiency isn't too bad, and regulations are slowly creeping up um, to, to improve the standards. Um, so that by, I think, by 2025, the so-called future home standard will be introduced where um, you won't need to do anything further to a home in order to make it zero carbon and just rely on the grid to, be, um, to reduce its carbon content. Mm. Um, I mean, we did, we did have a roadmap in 2006 that all new homes would be zero carbon by 2016, but that was abandoned by... Uh, the, the coalition government in 2015. So we we we've sort of been there before, and it's a bit of a sort of stop-start um, uh, uh, moving forward, really, by government. I mean, if government would be a bit more consistent and stick with their guns, uh, life would be better. Yeah, and Professor, how is the UK coping in efficiently storing thermal energy in our houses? Well. Again, that's an interesting question because uh, the term you're using sort of to store thermal energy. I think what what we in the UK we've been particularly bad at holding on to heat in our homes. If, that, if that's what you mean, the, yeah. the, tradition, the traditional British home we we like lots of ventilation and we build very poor poorly insulated homes. So basically, we um, heat up our homes and then throw all the heat away. Um, by insulating them and making them more airtight, we can hang on to that heat. So in, in those terms, storing thermal energy, uh, that, that, that's a very s- sensible approach. But if you, if you mean actually 
storing thermal energy um, in a sort of con concentrated form, that's, that's probably not necessary if you insulate the houses well enough. So um, I mean, some heating systems like um, heat pumps um, are better at producing heat constantly over sort of small amounts of heat constantly over a long period and then you, you then, then you have a thermal store which you can call on when you need but um most homes i mean we're, we're sort of used to gas boilers which we can you can use a home intermittently um going out to work and then coming back in the evening etc and you're, you expect to be able to turn a knob on and get instant heat um, mm -hmm. So, I mean, storing storing heat in, under those circumstances probably isn't that sensible. So, how how does it differentiate the uh, the boiler and the heat pump? What what uh, how do they work individually? The, dif the difference. Um, well, a boiler, um, they typically obviously just heat water for radiators, and they can they can produce concentrated heat very quickly. Um, so you can let a you can let a house cool down, and then you can heat it up again quite fast. Mm. A heat pump, um, it, it's sort of extracting heat from a from a low temperature source like the air or underground, and um, it, that's not good at, at extracting large amounts of heat quickly. It's much better at extracting uh, steadily over a long period. So a heat pump mm. you might typically leave on all day. And you, you um, are charging a, a heat store like a big hot water cylinder um, in your house, um, which you can then call on to to, to deal with um, you know, different demands on your on your heating. And how how efficient is that compared to the boiler? Um, uh, well, yes, yeah, again, tricky. Boilers, modern boilers, are pretty efficient, sort of ninety percent ish. Um, heat pumps are. Well, they're very efficient because you get more energy out of them than you put into them. Mm -hmm. so if you're if you're lucky, you would get three or four times the amount of uh, heat energy out of them compared to the electricity you put in. Put in because it's it's pulling heat from either from the air or from underground and and uh, raising the temperature of that heat to make it useful inside. So heat pumps are are very efficient as as, as long as they're designed right. Mm -hmm. And and uh, lastly, uh, what do you think uh, are some of the potential future possibilities uh, the UK can plan to do for the next 10, 20 years in order to improve this housing? Well, I think, um, as I say, the, the um, new housing obviously needs to improve and get towards what's called the passive house standard, which is a German standard where you... Um, Mm -hmm. uh, very well insulated houses, triple glazing, airtight construction, mechanical ventilation with heat recovery, all those, all those technologies, which means you, all the heat can be supplied through the ventilation system and you get heating bills of, well, before the, the recent price hikes, you know, £20 a month or something like that. Mm -hmm. we'll call it 40 or 50 now. Um, so very, very low bills. But the real challenge is, is to try to deal with our existing homes and that's again been a very stop start um, there have been grants to do it and it can be quite difficult to um, improve an existing home it's very disruptive um, to do it properly um, but I think so I think there's, there's got to be some government incentives to, to help us do this 
but also I think people, when whenever you do an alteration to your home, like upgrade your kitchen or bathroom, um, if you've got if you've got spare cash to do that, make the most of it. So insulate those those rooms um, very highly, much high, more highly than you would expect to. Mm-hmm. Um, and in many ways, we, we sort of need to change people's. Um, it's all very well talking about people. It's changing us, me. Mm-hmm. Uh, change our attitudes from, you know, if, you, if you've got some money to spend on your house, you don't immediately think, well, I'll put a new bathroom or a kitchen in. You think, I'll insulate. That that would be your top priority. And I, it, what, unfortunately, one of the, the, if you could call it a positive, um, the positives of, of these very high energy costs now is that suddenly people realize how important uh, energy is because you, when you don't when you can't get it get it cheaply you realize that how much you need it and so it's it makes us realize just quite quite how important these things are as well as saving the planet you know that's, that's the, the ultimate goal is to reduce our carbon emissions so we don't um, we don't change the climate yeah definitely Thank you very much, Professor, for your for your time. Thank you for sharing your insight on this topic, and uh, um, hope Not you have all. a wonderful day ahead. I mean, it's a very very important topic, and I'm re- really pleased that you're you're looking at it. That's, that's fantastic. Thank you. Thank you very much. So that was uh, an, an interview of uh, Professor Bill, and uh, you know, so some good things. Some good things that came uh, came out of it as well. One thing that you mentioned right there at the end. Was that uh, you know the, obviously you know the, the cost of uh, the cost of these energy bills are increasing and they're rising and they're rising and they're rising, which is obviously a bad thing. But the thing, one good thing that we can actually get out from this is that how much we sort of um, we might take it lightly, we might take it for granted. Yeah. Uh, you know, previously maybe that uh, how I wouldn't say cheap, but I'll say much more uh, affordable, e- or, or much more affordable. Uh, before as well, um, but now because you know this is so this I mean skyrocketed as well, gone up by thousands of pounds, um, the energy bills just by you know just for one household, um, so we we actually realize more how much we how much we how much we need these things because it, it is a, if you if you can say it, it is a basic necessity, you know having yeah. having an insulated house here. You know, in, the, in you know, in a developed country, is something that you don't even consider. You just have that. Yeah. <laughs> you don't even think about it. Every house it needs to be insulated, right? You need to have double glazed windows. You know, if you have single glazed windows, the the the, you know, your your house is going to be cold. <laughs> yeah, I remember. Going to be cold. A few years, a few years, like probably seven, eight years ago, we, hmm. our house had single glazed windows as yeah. well, and. Uh, if you're standing next to the window yeah. in in the winter, it feels like there's no window. Feel, feel like yeah, literally. Yeah, so that's you, the thing. You can literally feel the cold and the air through Coming the window. In. So, and then after that, the uh, all the house they they changed it to the mm. double glazed, and it saves first of all, it saves a lot of money. Yeah, even for the government, and uh, for the for the individual houses, it's it's very useful and very practical. Exactly, and these are the uh, these are the practical things that we need to do um, ensure that. That these basic necessities are there, that they're met uh, as well. So these um, these things are very, very much important. Now, uh, you know, His uh, His Holiness, 
um, has um, the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community has uh, said that may Allah be his helper said that in light of allegations against Islam years ago the high the he highlighted how the world works the he quoted that many people help uh, as a reminder to how the world uh, works and this uh, this reminds um, to reminds us to always be kind and you know and living in a, mo- in, a in a moderation is wise which uh, sees to, to to be the current plan that uh, citizens may need to live in moderation and in the meantime it should always help each other in the face uh, you know in the face of difficulties and and always never fall short in terms of uh, in terms of justice and justice is you know very very much important when it comes to these things as well um helping one another uh is very you know is uh, is is a basic necessity and uh, fulfilling the rights of mankind is also a a basic necessity or, or, or a basic command one of the actually one of the main things is to fulfill the rights of uh, of mankind and obviously uh you know the the holy quran also states that you know these the people who have been given authority they have they have a they have a duty to fulfill um for for their subordinates for the people who are living under them so any government who is uh you know who is active they should try their best to you know to 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 uphold their standards to fulfill their promises um you know all the good promises that they make and also try to you know, get, try to serve the people as much as possible, and not leave any any community or any town or any any place or any people. Um, you know, in uh, you know, if they're calling for help, then you know, don't just leave them and uh, not help them. The way that we, the way that governments need to be need to be run is a way in which uh, justice can prevail. If justice is there, and uh, a true serving spirit is there uh you know in in any in any sit, in any sort of uh, authoritative uh, position if justice is there if fairness is there and a, a a urge to serve is there then you know that 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 thing or that company or that government or that position can actually flourish as well isn't it yeah and i'd also like to add that um from an islamic point of view um, there is a saying of the Holy Prophet, peace be upon him. He said that um, Sayyidul Qawmi Khadimu, that the that the leader of the people is actually the the greatest servant. So the, if you if you lead the country with this thought that I am serving the country, then that that justice. What are you talking about? Then this justice will truly happen. Then you will not serve. Uh, you will not lead the country with with the selfish thought rather you you'll you'll lead it as, as a service you know it would be an honor for you to serve the country to be uh, the head of the country and you have all these responsibilities but if you misuse your position and uh, you um you know take it for um so you, you take advantage of it you uh, get your own benefit out of it you know like if you want to make some money or make certain decisions and you are unfair to the people who elected you or who who trusted you with this position then uh, that would be unjust and this is this will uh, lead to the collapse of the whole country 
Exactly, exactly. You know, the, the Holy Quran states in chapter 3, verse 111, like the Almighty states that you are the best of people ever raised for the good of mankind because you have been raised to serve others. You enjoin what is good and forbid evil and believe in Allah. So, you know, this in this we can see that Allah the Almighty is saying that those people are the best people who serve mankind, right? They, they fulfill yeah. the rights of God <coughs> and also fulfill the rights of, uh, of mankind. Um, and this is uh, this is very much important as, as I mentioned that you know the the two main fundamental um, beliefs in religion or if religion can be divided into two different categories one is to fulfill the rights of of God you know, to to worship God to obey him to listen to him and fulfill and uh, for, you know fulfill his commandments uphold his commandments but the other is to fulfill the rights of mankind and uh, fulfilling yeah. the rights of others and sometimes this can actually be harder than fulfilling the rights of 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 God. Yeah, definitely. Because you know, you you can pray. You know, you can pray five times a day. You can, uh, you know, you can uh, do your do, fast in the month of Ramadan. You can do mm-hmm. all your other good things, you know, which are related to God. But when it comes to fulfilling the rights of mankind, sometimes that is even more difficult because uh, being you know being just that's a very noble thing as well. You know, being being just, being fair, even though that. The opposition may be may be against you, you know. But being yeah. fair at that time, uh, being be you know being fair, being just at that time, and displaying justice, especially when you're in authority, then uh, you know that's a very good uh, that's a very good trait uh, to have. That's a very good uh, you know a good standard yeah. to, to have, isn't it? Yeah, there's there's like three stages uh, <laughs> mentioned in in Islam. Yeah. One is one is justice. So somebody does good to you. So you return the favor, you you do good to him, which is equal. You're on the equal level. Mm-hmm. Somebody gives you a present, you give him a present. You know, next time, then there is um, something called doing a favor. So nobody has given you anything, mm-hmm. but you still give him a gift. Mm-hmm. And then there's a third stage, which is which is which is something like like a family, mm-hmm. that you you give things. If you do a favor, you still expect something back later. Yeah, you, you still but have that element of yeah. yeah. That yeah. I, I did something for him, but the third yeah. stage is like, is like your mother, for example. She raises you. That a believer, uh, uh, all the people, they should uh, attain, they should uh, acquire this stage. That you do something for someone, you do a favor for someone. Not even a favor. A favor is something you should you get back. Mm. But you do something for for the other person, without even the thought that uh, he has to. That's return the favor. Yeah. Back. So th- this this level of justice, th- this is like the most the excellent. Highest. This is the highest one. And when uh, somebody um, gets to that level, this is when uh, he he doesn't need any any favors anymore. He's he's helping people without without the thought that he needs anything back. And I think that's uh, you save yourself from disappointment, and you're just loved by everyone. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Very, very uh, well uh, put there as well. And so the, the, these are, you know, these are the teachings uh, of uh, of Islam, and this is uh, this is, you know, the, the high moral standards. You know, it's, it's, Islam doesn't just put you on a, on a good moral standard, but it gives you on a put on such a standard, which uh, which you can reach, you know, God Almighty uh, as well. So it lifts you up from from a very basic standard to to a moral standard, and then from a moral standard. 
to a higher to a higher standard and then higher than that a spiritual standard as well um but yeah the, the basically what we are talking about is uh, you know is is justice and how we should try our best to serve others as well and this is what we this is one of the one of the two things that we are told to do as well um this was our show uh, today on the breakfast show thank you so much for for listening for tuning in um today's show was uh, produced by by Hania and researched by uh, Nawera Khan Maria Sheikh uh, the pleasure of presenting with uh, with you uh, Usman Manan and uh, Akib Ahmed in the in the tech uh, in a tech room in the stu- in, a stu- in the other studio for his uh, support as well thank you thank you to of, of course all of our guests who took time out and uh, spoke to us today until next time assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh